Hello and welcome to African Jeopardy. My name is Ife and I'm recording from Lelystad in the Netherlands. Today we will be discussing improving maritime security in the Gulf of Guinea and we have an amazing guest to discuss this topic with us in the person of Ambassador Florentina Adenike Okonga, MFR. Ambassador Florentina Adenike Okonga was the Executive Secretary of the Gulf of Guinea Commission, GGC, Luanda, Angola, from June 2015 to April 2023. She equally served as a Deputy Executive Secretary, Political Affairs, from May 2007 to May 2015. Before her appointment at the GGC, she was the Undersecretary for African Affairs in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. As Undersecretary for African Affairs, she oversaw Nigeria's African bilateral and multilateral relations, political, economic, and diplomatic with African countries and African intergovernmental organizations from April 2004 to November 2006. Prior to that, she was the High Commissioner of Nigeria to Jamaica with concurrent accreditation as a High Commissioner to Belize, an Ambassador of Nigeria to Haiti and the Dominican Republic from April 1999 to August 2003. Ambassador Florentina Adenike Okonga is a renowned career diplomat with more than 35 years of service to the Federal Republic of Nigeria. She has also been awarded a national honor as MFR, member of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. She is the matriarch of her family and is blessed with children and grandchildren. Her hobbies include reading, walking, and listening to the news. You will agree with me that we have the best person to discuss this topic with us. Ambassador Okonga, welcome to African Jeopardy, and thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to speak to, speak to you about improving maritime security in the Gulf of Guinea. Thank you very much, Ife. It's really my pleasure and an honor to be here on this African Jeopardy event. Thank you. Thank you. I'll go straight to the point by asking you the first question. What do you think are the primary security threats in the Gulf of Guinea? That's a very good question, Ife. Uh, the, the threats have not really changed much. Only we have added others. We still have the issues of piracy. We have issues of um, armed robbery at sea. We have issues of kidnapping. We have issues of, uh, well, we used to have issues of theft. Uh, but now it's gone really, really big scale. Uh, we have issues of IU fishing. Those and then use of um, uh, smuggling of arms and persons and drugs. Those 
have been there, but we now have the issues of bunkering that has really scaled up in a way that is really threatening the economy of some of the states of the region. Thank you so much for um, detailing the threats. And you are absolutely right in highlighting how they have evolved and how some are getting worse. And now I'd like to know whether you can tell us some of the drivers. What do you think are the drivers of some of these threats? The drivers are, um, even for the drivers, I think that has also changed a little bit. Because I remember when, when, the, when, the, when the heads of state got together to establish the Gulf of Guinea Commission, the navies used to accuse their governments of being sea blind. That means they were not paying attention to what is happening in the maritime domain. But that has changed. It has improved considerably. Was to our advocacy and uh, you know everybody talking about it, and uh, the pirates really get pirates and the armed robbers really get in really uh, ferocious. Many member states have started paying more attention to the maritime domain. It used to be, no, as long as our land area is secure, they can go and do whatever they like on the sea. But now they know that whatever happens on the land can actually be perpetrated in the maritime domain. So governments are becoming much more interested or at least more interested in what is going on in the maritime domain. At least in the specific case of Nigeria, that has been the case. They, they try to empower their navies so that at least they can stand up to the, uh, to the threats of piracy, both in the territorial waters and also in the EEZ. That has happened. The drivers are also because you have massive unemployment in those regions. And when you have a situation where both adults and youths are not working or doing something, you know, that one can say this is their profession. And it's not because they don't want to work, but because, but because the conditions are just not conducive for them to do any work. If all the fishes, most of the people there in the riverine areas are fishermen. Artisanal fishermen, they are not big scale, those who go with trawlers. The artisanal, you know it is because you are very much familiar with IU fishing, fishing in general, and especially IU fishing. When people will come with big trailers and they will just sweep away all the fishes, even those they shouldn't take, they take. And the artisanal fishermen in the areas are just, they go, they can't catch anything. Or when the waters are polluted and the fishes have to migrate or they die. And therefore, there is massive unemployment. And when the governments of the region are not paying attention to the plight of the people, basic amenities are not existing. So anybody who comes, tenting them with, uh, you know, join our gang, you can be other people who show us the way, or we can come and hide the kidnapped people in your area. Nobody will know, you know. That's, those are the type of things that really really, really drive this type of criminality continuing. And you also have the issue of, well, they come, the people in the area, they see massive investment in terms of exploitation of resources. They see how people come in, 
and just exploit in the case of oil, for instance, massive investment and exploitation of the resources, tons and tons and millions of barrels of food being exported on a daily basis, the area being polluted, and they are just left without anything. They will either want to take the laws into their hands or they want to join them. If that will, either they damage the pipe, pipeline in order to take some of the crude, or they join them to perpetuate either stealing of the oil or whatever it is that will make ends meet. Those are basically the issues that drive. And of course, you also have the takers, those who take all these stolen oil or stolen resources because they are not sold. Some of them are sold in the areas, but most of it are carted away to unknown destinations. So those people who come and tempt them to aid and abet in, and in the process, they have hand pipelines or damaged pipelines and crude is spilled all over the place. The fishes cannot go or they start flaring the gas. The people who are living in the area who have nowhere to, to run to, they are the ones who will have challenges of health. They don't have water, portable water. Everywhere is polluted. Those are the those are the effects of all these threats, and they have to be they have to be they have to be taken care of in order to create an enabling environment, a sane environment, a clean environment where people can live a decent life. Because not everybody wants to be a criminal. If you have hundred people, you may not even have one that wants to be a criminal. But if you don't have the means. Some will say, well, we have to eat now. So what do you want us to do? If you can't, if you can't beat them, you join them. If the government cannot do things for us, we take, we take whatever means by which we can, uh, we can survive. So there is that. So those, those, are, the, those are the effects of the threats. So and, and, uh, we really have to make sure that we discourage people from wanting to join criminal activities by providing them with the basic amenities of life. Clean water, clean environment, safe place, good source of occupation, whatever it is at whatever level. Those are the effects of the threats. Thank you so much, Madam Ambassador, for your response. And in talking about the impact of the threats, you've also more or less started highlighting some of the possible solutions. And so I'd like you to maybe tell us a bit more. Now that we've identified the threats, the drivers, some of their impacts, what do you propose to be the solution? Given, I mean, you've been in this space or on this space for a very long time. What do you see as a solution to combating the threats to maritime security in the Gulf of Guinea? The solutions or proposed solutions. Well, the solutions have to be multifaceted. First, at the level of the government, the government of the of the states of the region, they must take responsibility for at least being seen to provide minimum minimum deterrent deterrent um, deterrent. How will I put it? Deterrent actions to discourage the perpetrators of this crime. And that can be at two levels. Their populations must be taken care of to discourage them from wanting to join the gangs. 
then the criminals must be apprehended when they are caught. And that would be something they have to enact laws that will really criminalize criminal activities at sea. And I'm happy to say that that has also improved. Arrest and prosecute those people who are caught committing crimes at sea. That is very, very important. Secondly, as I said, the conditions must be favorable to the populations. Government must take responsibility for providing everyone with the basic amenities. Thirdly, the international community must also cooperate because some of these perpetrators are not even from the region. If crude oil is stolen, because in Nigeria we hear cases of big, 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 big ships coming to take uh, to, to take crude oil. They are not sold in Nigeria. Yes, all those other small, small artisanal, what they call them now, um, 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 those people that do uh, refined oil, you know, modular from refined oil. They can't take, they can't, how, how much oil do they steal? But when you have big, big, big ships, like the one they caught, uh, running to Equatorial Guinea last year and saying that, oh, they wanted to attack him when he was stealing oil. Or the one they caught recently, I think two or three weeks ago or something like that, when it came up again. This this oil is being stolen to be sold somewhere. Those also, and they are not they are the countries where this crime is being perpetrated. They too must be, you know, international community or whoever is responsible, they must also be, be something must be done about them. Because if there are no buyers of whatever they are stealing, there will, be a, there will not be encouragement to steal those crude oil. So those are the type of things that we can do, especially the enactment of laws that will prosecute arrests, prosecute sense offenders. And on the level of the uh, uh, the how level the security agencies of the different countries, there should be more probity among them, because also some of them, not all of them, obviously, some of them are also they are collaborators. They they aid and abet these thieves to get away. Maybe they bribe them. So they turn the other eye, they pretend they don't see. Because I don't see how a big tanker can come and stay in your waters for two weeks, three weeks, one month. Or this last one I see has been doing it for the past 12 years. Where is the Navy? Where is the, um, the what do you call them, the um, Coast Guards? Where are they? You know? So those are the type of things that really, uh, at the level of the government, and also the people that are in charge, they must really put the countries first. Because if we don't do, we don't go to this type of jobs with some form of probity, we'll just be, we'll be scratching the surface. It's not that we won't catch one or two petty thieves, but the big ones can always turn the other eye and let them escape. And if, as long as that continues, we are not really going to make a headway. But thank God, at least they know now that, at least in some countries, that they will be caught. And if they are caught, they will be prosecuted. Because people now have found their voice. They talk, they mention it, and before anybody can change their narrative, 
the whole thing is out, out there, that uh, you are the one responsible, why did you do this? And those ones too should also be prosecuted. The uh, Suppression of Privacy Act is quite extensive. I mean, it covers not just the perpetrators, the collaborators, those who assist. It covers the whole gamut of the uh, aiders and abettors, if I can use those words. So with that, may be able to at least reduce it considerably, even if it cannot be completely eliminated. Of course, the target is that our water should be safe so that there can be development, sustainable development. That's the whole idea. So we need that. And that will mean really everybody cooperating. When we can get the security aspect sorted out, then we can know that, yes, if you do this, you can have it on a push, as well as regional regional and sub-regional cooperation. Because another thing we've noticed is that no one country can really police its maritime domain. It's not like land, where you can say, okay, this is the frontier, you can't cross here. Even if you do that on the sea, who is going to, who is going to monitor it? Who? People are not, people cannot be there. To go out into the sea and monitor your territorial water takes a lot of money and resources. You know, I can't do it. I have to collaborate with those that cannot do it. And there must be trust also built. Like, I wouldn't let you have the names of the criminals and you go to them and say, oh, it is Nigeria that is there informing on us. You know, that's what there must be mutual trust and cooperation and mutualization of resources too. That is very, very important. Thank you so much, Madam Ambassador, for the detailed response on the solutions. You know, you spoke about the multifaceted nature, what can be done at the national, regional, and even global le um, levels, and of course, addressing the issue of unemployment. I want to then ask you, because we already have a system in place. So from the DGC to, and then in 2013, we had the Yaoundé um, system or the Yaoundé architecture. Do you think the current system we have for maritime security is holistic enough or is something that is sustainable or functional to help us get to the ideal um, vision of uh, a secured space in the Gulf of Guinea, which would help for the sustainable exploitation of our resources? Or are there aspects that needs to be improved better to be able to achieve that and vision of safety, security, and then sustainable exploitation of our resources. Well, the 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 architecture is there. It's just the implementation and the execution, because it needs a lot of resources, both human and material. Because if all the most of the countries in the region they have their navies. <laughs> Or their post guards and coast guards they have. But how effective are they? Are they well armed? Are they well equipped? Not just by way of arm. Can they really monitor what's going on in their region or in their seas, in their own maritime domain? And do they have the facilities to call for help in case of suspicious movements of ships or boats or whatever? We are trying to say, look, um, the collaboration, that's why. ECOWAS and um, ECAS, they have established the multinational 
maritime coordination centers, then you have the regional coordination center, then you have the ICC, so that information can be exchanged, you know, when you when you when you are monitoring, if you have the, those assets that can enable you to monitor, then you can either go and of course, if you have the facilities and have the equipment to be able to do that, or you can radio or call your neighbors to say, look, in this blah blah blah, I don't know exactly because I'm not from the Navy. If you go to this, they know how to describe where they are or where they are finding these um, suspicious movements. Go there if you have the means. Can you please help to check what is going on there? So you need greater collaboration among the states. Then those who have the capacity must be prepared to come to the, not rescue, or to, uh, to answer the call. Government, their agencies, their maritime security agencies, the Navy in particular, they must fund them. And those that cannot be the international community can also assist in providing some of the equipment as an instance. Because if you want to do patrol, you can't do patrol of your of your uh, EEZ. I mean, it costs a lot of money. I remember when Benin and Nigeria had this operation prosperity. It cost a lot of money for the one year, one and a half years that it was on. It cost humongous sum of money, and they were able to do it because somebody was going there. Because because by the time goods get to even the territorial waters of Benedict hijacked it. And then they had to cry out. And that was how the case was taken to the UN and it started to 2011, 2012. We have gone a long way. I mean, since then, um, like the ICC was established. But ICC also has to be fully equipped in terms of human beings and in terms of material they require to do their coordination work properly. Because it's of no use not having the required personnel, it won't work, or not having the required equipment, it won't work. And the governments must equip their navies, those that can that can establish the viewing centers, but not the operation centers, where they can see. That costs a lot of money. Like what they have, some countries have it, a Falcon high system, where you can stay in a room and control, or at least see what is going on in your maritime domain, or even beyond. You know, you can see, you can even see beyond your own waters to your neighbors. So it also calls for collaboration. There is the Audi Code of Conduct, and it has clauses which says that you can once you sign, both of you sign it, you can you can you can come to each other's rescue, you can even board ships that are in your waters. But how many countries, how many states of the region have signed it? I don't think any of them can sign it, in spite of our you know, talking about it. The, I don't know why the countries are not too keen on signing the, the Code of Conduct. Uh, we keep on talking. We keep on encouraging them because that would be a really good way of assistance. I know that they come to each other's uh, assistance now, but it should be done in a more binding manner, in a more binding an official manner. You can do that. The, the MCCs too, that is the multilateral maritime coordination center, should also be fully equipped to be able to do what they're supposed to do within their different zones. That's maybe in the in the in the Edcast region, for instance, is only zone that was functioning 
I don't know how effective they are now, but when they started, they were functioning. Then in Ekoas region, the one in Kutonu, well, they, 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 they say they are functioning. And, uh, you know, but if they can really make all of these MNCs to do what they are supposed to do by providing them with the means, both material and human that they require. And the international community can help to empower all these centers, not only by coming to try and influence their policy, but that also is part of the problem. Because you see that there is no free lunch anywhere. But they forget that if the region is safe and secure, even if the even if it is just by even implementing or assisting to implement the policies that have been agreed upon, everybody stands to gain. Well, it means their own ships can come in without being molested. Their own uh, products can also be lifted without anybody hijacking or trying to steal it. They have, their men can go, come in and go out they like on the seas without being kidnapped, you know? And then there can be reduction in arms smuggling and all the rest of it. But our, our um, observation is that the internal community will only come in when they want to influence the policy. And if that is resisted, no assistance goes to that place. So that attitude also has to change a little bit. It should be cooperation. You don't go into just say, I want to control. You go in, I want to help to collaborate. Because when this thing works, it works for everybody. So those are the, uh, the challenges I have seen. And uh, those are the possible solutions. Greater collaboration, you know, mutualization of resources. The centers should be fully equipped, materially and human. What they are supposed, what they are, everybody should do their own bit, and it's of no use. Somebody is supposed to be, um, you know, exchanging information to want to be the one to send out uh, the men and the ships. And I'm happy to say that in the Gulf, in recent times, you have the establishment of the uh, combat maritime task force, which can actually come, go and defend if they are called upon. If they are called upon, they can actually. I think it's it's been it's been it has just been established. I don't know whether it is actually functioning. But before I left, I know it has been established, and they have even gone to to choose who is going to be in charge and which country they because each country who have the means are supposed to have. I don't know how to call it in the navy, but like like a force that will be ready to to go when they are called upon within the within the navy. Like a, standby, like a standby force? Yes, something like that, but for the maritime domain, yes. They will be within the national navies, but when they are called upon, they can go and intervene in that area. That is what they are doing now, the combined maritime task force. Yes, it's like the African standby force, but for the maritime domain. The, the, the talks have been on, it has been established, the countries, I think Nigeria, Senegal, um, there are three countries, I don't know, I can't remember the third one, but in West Africa, at least, I know of Nigeria, I think Ghana to some extent, Nigeria and Senegal, they are very keen on, you know, providing this nucleus of 
naval men who will be in their navy, but who can be called upon, depending on the area, to intervene when necessary. The, the talks are on, and I think they've made uh, they've made the you know appreciable progress in the implementation of this, and also the fact that the 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 laws that have been enacted both in Nigeria and and in Togo, I think Togo too has done has enacted a law that that is supposed to suppress acts of piracy and ambrobatsi and things like that, and. They, that has also curbed to a large extent the the incidents of piracy and ambrobatsi. So if we can get more of such acts enacted and more or oh, and the and the and the nucleus of the combined maritime task force, if they are really well equipped within the different navies and those who are supposed to do the exchange of information to be able to relay and say, look, we can see this, this happening in this area and this area, and this can be sent more or less on the go. We have a fairly good um, uh, monitoring of the situation and be able to intervene and intercept these people, the criminal elements, before they can do much damage. Thank you so much, Ambassador Konga. I mean, you have really provided a detailed insight about what is already working based on the current architecture, what can be done differently, and, you know, other aspects that has been explored. I wish we have endless time to continue talking because I could ask you more questions around the practicality of the CMTF, for instance, but I'm sure there will be other opportunities for us to talk about this in the future. But I want to take this opportunity to thank you so much for making yourself available. I know you have a very busy schedule. And so thank you for making yourself available, sharing your knowledge and insight with us, which I hope our listeners would also find uh, very useful. Thank you. Thank you, Faye. You can always, you know, we've been in it together and I've spent 15 years of my life, yeah. you know, on this issue. So anytime, anytime, we can always fix the time. When there's a will, there's a way. Because yeah. we really want, we want people to know about it, to know about the problems. As we are talking to the government, we also want to talk to the people, individuals. We all have a role to play. And international community too. They also have a role to play. But they, their role should be collaborative, not dictating to yeah, yeah. members what they should do. And they have there is that tendency. So that has also been that should also be watched. Let it be a program brought up by the member states. You help them and not just say, Okay, we help you, you have to do this, you have to do that. Because when they do that, nobody shows any interest. I think many people not show any interest. And the government should put their mouth, their money where their mouth is. They yeah, cannot yeah. be found, they cannot be protecting themselves against coup on land and be encouraging coup at sea. Because yeah. whatever is the problem at sea starts from the land. So yeah. we have to solve it. Thank you.